Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Sheep Thrills. We are now two weeks from Election Day, less than two weeks from Election Day. Um, so, you know, we got stuff to talk about. As, as always, we got stuff to talk about. Um, a little housekeeping just up at the top. I have a little bit of a cough right now. So if you hear the audio go out or you hear like muffled coughing throughout the show um, or you hear me taking a drink from my drink. That's why. Um, I've been told that this mic really picks up, like, every single sound, so I do apologize for, like, all of that. Um, but, you know, we're two weeks from election day, we can't rest, we have to keep going, so, you know, I'm pushing through so that I can be here for you guys right now. Um, so, on, with that being said, on this episode, we've got more midterm madness, if you can believe it. We're going to talk about some forecast updates. We're going to talk about um, two big, important debates that just happened. Um, so we're just going to kind of, you know, do our little status update two weeks out. Um, and then we are going to talk a little bit about what has been happening across the pond for the past few weeks. Um, if you've been paying attention to any kind of British politics, you know that they've had a kind of tumultuous couple of months. So we're going to get into that for a little bit. Um, and then, for a fun little activity at the end, I am going to review the stack of election mail uh, my parents gave me when I was home this weekend for fall break. So they gave me legitimately a stack, a stack of like five, ten different mailers um, that we are going to go through, which I think will be particular. It'll be really fun for me. I don't know how fun it will be for you, but you're gonna enjoy it regardless. Um, okay, with that being said, let us jump right back into it. Midterm madness. Um, so going right into the 538 forecast update, um, things have swung back the other direction just from kind of what we looked at last week. Um, so for the Senate, there's a 45% chance of Republican control and a 55% chance for Democratic control. Still, the most likely outcome here is that 50-50 split control. Um, the most likely outcome being 50-50 split control is, um, you know, something that we, some, that's been like a fairly solid um, prediction for the past couple of months. Um, but the chances for Democrats kind of taking more of a majority have gone down considerably over the past couple of months. So it was like a couple months ago, it was like 70% and now it's all the way down to 55%, which means like they still have it as like lean Democrat, but it's very much completely a toss up at this point. Um, and on the other hand, Republicans are now highly favored to win the House. They have an 81% chance. Um, and, you know, again, most potential outcomes are clustered around that midpoint. Um, but a lot of different forecasts are now coming out kind of saying, yeah, there was a while there where the predictions were kind of truncated, but now they're all the way back out. And, you know, the Republicans are going to basically basically sweep the House this time. Um the, there's a 45% chance of Republicans winning both houses and a 36% chance of the Democrats winning the Senate and the Republicans winning the House. And this is important because literally two, three weeks ago, the most likely outcome for both branches was that the Democrats were going to win the Senate and the Republicans were going to win the House. And now it's been flipped, which is really important. And again, like I was doing this research for a presentation 
literally the beginning of October. I think I gave the October, I gave the presentation like on October 7th or something. Um, so like this is, this, these are very recent changes where it's gone up considerably. There's almost like a 10% difference between the chance of um, Republicans winning both houses and the Democrats and the Republicans splitting control in the legislature. So that's really interesting that now these odds have just changed so considerably. Um, and then in terms of governorships, um, several seats kind of look like they could, they're going to change hands, um, including Maryland and Massachusetts, most likely going to be Democrats who win there where they had Republican incumbents. Um, and then there's a ton of toss-up races right now. Nevada, Oregon, um, which is interesting that it's a toss-up because there's a, like a third party um, kind of spoiler candidate, which whatever, but whatever. Um, Wisconsin, Arizona, Kansas, New Mexico, Michigan, Georgia, all solidly toss-ups right now. Um, things that surprise me in there, again, Oregon, and also Michigan being a toss-up is really interesting um, because it was really, it really looked, so it's um, Gretchen Whitmer running against Tudor Dixon, um, and that race I did not see as being competitive. Um, people really didn't think it was going to be competitive until the past couple of weeks. And there have been some polls that have indicated that Tudor Dixon is outrunning Gretchen Whitmer. So we'll see. The one little funny side note from that one is that um, they recently debated. And if you look at the picture of the two of them standing next to each other, they are the exact same person. They are both like beautiful, middle-aged women with like perfect skin and perfect hair and like literally I like would not be able to tell the difference between them unless I was you know was the freak that I currently am so now the question is and also the other race that's very interesting that I did not I, we don't have time to cover today but we'll probably cover a lot more next week um is the race in New York for governor so this is between Kathy Hochul, who's the incumbent, who obviously was the um, lieutenant governor who took over for Cuomo when he, you know, resigned in disgrace. Um, and she is running against uh, Lee Zeldin, who is a former member of Congress. And this is an interesting race because nobody, <laughs> nobody thinks that a governor's race in New York is going to be um, competitive. What are you talking about? Um, so... I think that that campaign did not realize that they had to run a competitive race and now they are being forced to run a competitive race um, and they're not doing the greatest job at this point. But I'll probably cover that a little bit more next week because I had other things that I wanted to talk about today um, that's going to take up our time. But suffice to say that New York is a lot more competitive of a race than we thought it was going to be. Um, and so that'll be an interesting thing to kind of adjust the potential pa balance of power in kind of those state legislatures. Um, of course, like the, the actual state legislature is still going to be like very predominantly liberal, um, but having a Republican in the governorship affects a lot of things as we know. So, um, so right now, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, every time we talk about this polling, anything can happen. Anything, anything, anything. I think especially at this point when we see so much going into toss-ups and, you know, knowing that there's so much, like, election denial that, like, we have no idea what election day is going to look like. Um, 
And it's, you know, we don't know if the Democrats are going to be able to kind of defy all these expectations that have been kind of put on them. Doesn't look like it. It kind of looks like they're being dragged back down to earth. Um, And then, you know, another important forecast is looking at, like, Hook Political Report with Mr. Dave, my, my friend Dave, who causes me so much anguish every day. Um, so he recently reported that they're increasing the outlook for House GOP gains from 10 to 20 seats to 12 to 25 seats, which is a big old ouch. Um, not Doesn't look good. Ten, but the difference between 10 and 12 seats, whatever, the difference between 20 and 25 seats, that's pretty big. Of course, like those are like the, the extreme ends there. But anything like that is just absolutely going to like demolish any chance of the Democrats kind of clawing back any anything that they want for the next two years. Um, he also had a couple interesting new House writing changes, um, notably uh, Mary Potola in Alaska, who just won their special election um, and is now running again against Sarah Palin. Um, that race has gone from toss-up to lean D, which is pretty interesting. It'll be kind of crazy if she wins that race. Also notable is that um, Senator Murkowski from the great state of Alaska recently said that she is going to vote for Mary Patola instead of Sarah Palin. Um, so that is a pretty considerable change for that the party. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so I think that now she has a lot of, you know, institutional support or Mary Patola has that like kind of institutional support from um Republicans now behind the scenes, so that's pretty important as well. Um, also important, Sean Patrick Maloney of New York, who is the chair of the DCCC, he just got his race uh, changed to toss-up, which is not good because he is an extremely powerful guy in terms of like the you know the Democratic institutions. Um, so losing his seat um, would be a pretty big deal, just kind of leak, leave like a pretty big power vacuum, and then that obviously is going to cause a whole slew of other issues. The interesting thing there is, like, I personally thought, oh, they only ever nominate um, people to those, like, high-powered positions if their seat is extremely safe. It's like Nancy Pelosi in San Francisco. Like, she's never going to lose her seat. Like, it doesn't matter who runs against her. She's not going to lose her seat. So it's interesting that they did give this power to Sean Patrick Maloney, considering that his seat is a little bit marginal. Also, it's not like people love him so much that like you know it doesn't matter that he might lose his seat he's so great at his job like people really don't like him like a lot of people don't like him like the institution doesn't like him the progressive side doesn't like him activists don't like like he's not a super popular guy so um that's an interesting facet as well and then we have two races in virginia that i wanted to mention abigail spamberger who recently had her race changed from toss-up to lean D, is now back to toss-up. And Jennifer Wexton, also from Virginia, went from solid Democrat to likely Democrat. All of which, except for the Mary Patola story, are big old ouches for the Democrats. That is not what they want to hear, um, especially someone like Jennifer Wexton, who's in a very solid Democratic seat. I don't think she's going to lose her seat, but it's still important that... Um, She's kind of she's kind of lost some of that steam. But that's our forecast. Two weeks out. Like 13 days away from election day. Oof. Okay. 
Next thing I want to talk about is the Florida gubernatorial debate. Actually, before I do this, I'm going to take a sip of my drink, but I'm going to move away from the mic so maybe you don't hear me. Ready? Okay. Okay, I don't know what you heard, but hopefully it's okay. Anyway, Florida gubernatorial debate. <coughs> oh, Lord in heaven. Um, so this was a debate between incumbent Governor Ron DeSantis um, and Charlie Crist, who is a former member of the House. This was their only gubernatorial debate, um, another kind of high-profile race that I want to talk about. Um, this debate was supposed to happen a few weeks ago, but it was postponed due to Hurricane Ian. Um, and by all accounts, the audience was fairly rowdy. Um, they were, the moderators were having a very difficult time kind of getting everyone to be quiet, which always makes me laugh. Um, but yeah, so it's, you know, it's a contentious debate. It's a contentious race. Everything's kind of bubbling up to the top. I think especially, you know, as we get closer and closer to election day, tensions are going to start running high in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, that's just, that's just, that's the nature of the beast. Um, so the important thing here is that, well, the, the kind of the main important takeaway that you're going to see from a lot of people, kind of the main kind of poll quote that everyone's going to be using, um, is about DeSantis and whether or not he's going to run for president. So a lot of people have been saying that kind of DeSantis is the most, you know, the best candidate for um, the presidency, it kind of following the post-Trump era. If Trump doesn't run again, or even if he does, kind of people think that DeSantis is the best opportunity for, you know, the, the party to get back to their roots or whatever. Um, and they've been, you know, all the pundits and everyone have been saying that DeSantis is going to run for president so much that now Trump is apparently by, you know, certain reports are saying that he gets very annoyed when people talk about how smart DeSantis is. Um, anyway, so they're in an they're in a they're in a lovers to enemies arc, I think. DeSantis and Trump, they used to be besties and now they're rivals. Academic. Academic rivals, lovers. Anyway, um, so when he was asked, when DeSantis was asked whether or not he would commit to serving his whole four-year term as governor, DeSantis fully ignored the question altogether, um, and the moderator was like, "No, you can't ask each other questions." Blah blah blah. But literally, even in a situation like that, where someone asks you a question, they're technically going out of order, you, you respond to that question, because that's important. And I thought that I pulled the link for it, but I don't think I have the clip for to, to listen to. Oh, I do have it. Okay, great. So let's, let's listen to Charlie Crist questioning our dear friend Ron DeSantis on whether or not he will be serving out his whole four-year term as governor. And Ron, Ron, you talk about Joe Biden a lot. I understand. You think you're going to be running against him. I can see how you might get confused. But you're running for governor. You're running for governor. And I have a question for you. You're running for governor. Why don't you look in the eyes of the people of the state of Florida and say to them, if you're reelected, you will serve a full four-year term as governor. Yes or no? Yes or no, Ron? Will you serve a full four-year term if you're re-elected governor of Florida? It's Isn't not a tough time? question. It's a fair question. He won't tell you. We did not agree on the candidates asking each other questions. Time? Governor. Okay, let me tell you. Obviously, this is a radio show, so you can't see their faces. 
But Ron DeSantis literally... So, you know how he already looks like a wax figure? Like, he really does not look like a real man. And he absolutely looked like his face was starting to melt off. Like, he had just, like, this little smile on his face. And he's like, maybe if I just stand really still, they won't... They'll they'll think that I'm not here anymore. Maybe I'll just be able to fade into the background and not be seen again. So funny. Um, and I will I will link this video in the show notes so that you can see this this interaction because it's very funny and honestly if there is one takeaway from that debate i think that that's probably it um you know they're trying to the the whole desantis strategy or part of the desantis strategy at this point i'm not going to make claims as to what the whole strategy is but a big part of the strategy is associating christ with um joe biden oh you love joe biden when you were in congress you voted with joe biden 100 percent of the time Joe, blah, blah, blah. And people in Florida do not like Joe Biden as a rule. Um, and so they're trying to basically say, you know, you maybe you don't know much about Charlie Crist, but you hate Joe Biden and they're best friends. So by the transitive property, you should also hate this guy. Um, so, you know, they're, they're trying to trying to associate each other. Um, but then again, like, like it's just it's just an interesting, interesting strategy there. Um they kind of picked up on in the beginning there. But, you know, if we're going to continue to talk about Joe Biden in a state race, you have to be prepared to kind of talk about that 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 federal level overall. It's very interesting. Um, other important issues um, brought up in this debate. Hurricane Ian, of course, was a pretty major topic, um, and particularly the response to Hurricane Ian. Um, as I mentioned when I talked about it a couple weeks ago, there was a lot of people who did not evacuate. Um, and so there was a lot of kind of finger pointing about why people did not evacuate the way that they should. Um, and basically, Chris accused DeSantis of not encouraging more people to get out of the way of the storm before it hit. Um, and so that that was kind of one sticking point. And then the other was debate as to whether or not Florida should limit construction along the coast, given the kind of risk factor that it um it entails when you're when you're building along there um neither person really answered the question obviously it's it's tough politically because on one hand like obviously you shouldn't be building there because like it's going to get washed away the next time there's a big storm but also people who are moving to florida want the big (laughs) like um condos with an ocean view and you can't have that unless you're continuing to um build along the coast so that's definitely, you know, a source of contention there. Um, of course, there's a focus on abortion, as there is in every race. Um, DeSantis has been using that, like, typical Republican talking point that Chris believes in abortion up to the point of birth, which doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Um, but it is certainly something that a lot of Republicans throw around. Um, so there is, you know, it always gets contentious when those kinds of things do get brought up. Um, and, of course, it's been a major one of the top three topics you know talked about during this campaign um and then last but not least there was a lot of conversation about culture wars um so as we know from the past several months um there's a lot of kind of lgbtq plus issues playing out in florida there's been that kind of controversy with disney um kind of this that and the other thing um kind of Florida has been that like central driving force around a lot of the kind of newfound transphobia and um, just like general bigotry and like 
quasi book burning that is happening kind of across the country. Um, so that, that was something that was debated a lot. Um, DeSantis suggested that doctors that perform gender affirming care are quote, mutilating minors, which is great. Um, and then of course there was this kind of the responses, the, the main democratic talking point, which is do Republican candidates really know better across the board than trained medical professionals? Um, who believe that kind of this kind of care actually saves lives. It's not mutilation. It's it's saving saving children from you know a, a, a far more egregious fate. Um, and of course that goes straight into the abortion argument as well. You know who who knows better, your doctor or some random guy who wears a fancy suit and does a lot of you know slick talking. I don't know, but there's certainly there's certainly debate going on about that. Um, but anyway, that's all I want to talk about on Florida. Of course, that's a very swingy state. That race is very contentious. Everything that goes on in Florida is very contentious. Um, so definitely important to talk about, important to see kind of what's being debated over there down on the southern panhandle of Florida. Okay. Next thing we're going to talk about, um, which is probably the most important story of the week, is the Pennsylvania Senate debate that happened last night. Um, Highly watched, very important, is very high profile race. So first of all, it's a very high profile race. Second of all, it's very important because Fetterman, of course, had a stroke back before the primary, which has kind of affected his like auditory auditory processing um, and his speaking. Um, And so Dr. Oz has been kind of blasting him for kind of having a struggle speaking and kind of needing accommodations. Um, And so this was kind of Fetterman's one chance to say, I'm all good. This is going to be fine. Um, And we'll get into it, but that maybe was not necessarily the case. Um, So Fetterman did have accommodations. Um, the moderator's questions and Oz's responses were kind of on big monitors with closed captions. So he was able to read the responses as well as hear them. So it would kind of help him process faster, um, which was good because it means that Fetterman was kind of had assistance processing his speech. But there was also concerns that it would kind of slow his speech down and that would kind of get used against him. Um, and as you can see kind of from this debate that did happen, Um, is that Fetterman did take kind of a long time to process the words and then he kind of uh, was not, he was not, you know, speaking smoothly. He was not getting through it in a way that was um, kind of as slick as we see from other politicians. Um, So that did not look necessarily hugely great for him. Um, Yeah, and again, there's there's just a lot of concerns at the Fetterman camp and among the Fetterman camp that... um, whatever the whatever happens with this debate it's kind of kind of get used in ads against him they're going to say oh look he doesn't know how to speak he doesn't know how to listen like what is he even saying um but you know he did have a stroke and now he does have a disability that doesn't affect his like cognitive function it just is affecting the way he like hears and speaks but that doesn't affect his like brain function um and so, you know, they're going to try to come after him for having a disability, which doesn't have anything to do with his actual mental state, doesn't look hugely amazing. Um, and of course, Dr. Oz has already started kind of shifting his calm strategy away from focusing on Fetterman's health. 
Um, a couple months ago, a spokeswoman said that he might have not had a stroke if he'd eaten his vegetables. So, the glory of the Oz campaign continues in full force, so, you know. So, we do know that the Oz campaign, you know, they came under fire for that, so they're moving away from it. Um, but the expectations here are what really matters, right? Like, nobody, except for in these, like, you know, this is a very highly competitive race, so the debates actually matter. Um, but you don't necessarily win a debate, but you do lose a debate. Um, and so the expectations here going in were, you know, Dr. Oz is a television personality who has tons of experience speaking on TV, all these different things. And John Fetterman is recovering from a stroke that is affecting the way that he hears and speaks. Therefore, the expectations are kind of, are, are, are very jaded. <coughs> so the question is now, does Dr. Oz meet the expectations set out for him? And does John Fetterman exceed the expectations set out for him? Because that's the only way that there is necessarily a winner or a loser in this debate. Um, and so in terms of the actual issues being debated, a lot of it, of course, was, was focusing on Fetterman's health. Um, although now Dr. Oz is trying to kind of like switch his strategy from focusing on the fact that he had a stroke and therefore isn't like qualified to be in office to talking about him being an extremist. Um, of course, talking about whether or not Dr. Oz is a carpetbagger. Um, abortion, of course, is a major issue. Crime is a big thing that the, the Oz camp is trying to bring up. And then energy and fracking is also a major issue. Um, Fetterman has a lot of appeal for blue collar workers because he's kind of an everyman. He's kind of a He's a regular guy. He's a regular dude. Um, and being against fracking kind of undermines that appeal. So that's something that Dr. Oz was really going to bring up. Um, and Fetterman supports fracking now, but as recently as 2018, he opposed it. But here's my thing. If there's one thing a candidate from Pennsylvania is going to do, it's flip-flop their positions on fracking. Like, that's just what they're going to do. Like, uh, oh, a Pennsylvania candidate isn't being honest about what their position is on fracking, oh, I'm shocked. I'm truly and honestly shocked. I don't know. It's like, it's not great, but I understand the strategy. I get it. Whatever. You got to do what you got to do. Um, it's just so funny. Oh, Pennsylvania. Okay. So I, here's, here's now, that was the pre-show. Now let's look at the post-show conversation. So I didn't get to watch the actual debate because I was traveling, um, but once I got off the bus and I looked at Twitter, basically the only thing I was seeing were about the debate, um, and there were two kind of main perspectives from kind of the liberal swill that I follow and engage with on Twitter. On one hand, people were saying that Fetterman sounded terrible, um, he did worse than what was expected of him. It was the death knell for his campaign. It was terrible. He did a bad job. The people who were involved in prepping him for this debate should be fired and potentially executed. So that was drama. On the other hand, people were saying, oh, well, he got in those couple of zingers. So actually, he did a lot better than what was expected of him, and it was fine. On the same hand, like a lot of those people were saying, yeah, he didn't do great, but he didn't. He wasn't as bad as everyone was saying he was doing. We're also saying, yeah, Dr. Oz is a smooth talker, 
but it doesn't make him look like a real person. Like, he doesn't seem like a really good dude. He seems slick. He seems obnoxious. He seems snarky. Um, so they're basically saying, Fetterman seemed more authentic. Dr. Oz seemed fake. That's going to affect kind of the, the long-term outcome. Then again, you know, everything that I'm saying here is kind of just what I picked up on from being online and, and looking at super hyper-political people, most of which don't live in Pennsylvania, kind of um, analyzing this debate. So this is this is the political pundits Reader's Digest version, you know? Um, but I'm going to read some tweets that people really, that, that, that people tweeted and that made me laugh. Um, so from one user, they said, Twitter, wow, Fetterman looks rough tonight. This debate will be devastating for his campaign. Real Americans. The large man on my television is so big. How did he get so large? He reminds me of my largest relative. And that made me laugh. Um, two tweets right in a row. Oh, well, you know, three tweets right in a row about, um, uh, about campaign staff. Fetterman needs to fire whoever told him he should do this debate. Whoever decided to let Fetterman debate should never be involved in democratic politics ever again. And then never seen anything like this Fetterman performance. If anything, the NBC reporter understated his condition. Ouch. That's not what you want to hear from your allies. Um, and then here's here's one from the other side, um, from the other perspective that I was looking at. Objectively, Oz is outperforming Fetterman. The stroke obviously had a real impact. Fetterman's struggling. But there's nothing likable about Oz. He's smirking, fast-talking, and I'm not sure he's doing anything to recover his unfavorables. But that was not what the debate was for. The debate was not for Dr. Oz to recover his unfavorables. It was for John Fetterman to prove that he is capable of articulating his positions. It, it begs the question, and I, I know that I'm going to get yelled at for this by my father, but I'm not just, I mean, maybe I am just saying this, but here's what I'm going to say. What's the value of being a good speaker <laughs> when you're in Congress? I understand the value of being a good speaker when you're campaigning because you have to articulate your, your policy position. You have to be able to, like, you know, articulate to people why they should vote for you. But when you're in Congress, nobody cares about your floor speeches. Nobody cares about your floor speeches. Nobody watches C-SPAN. Like, no, no one cares. What, what, what matters when you're in Congress is the amount of work that you're doing behind the scenes, in my opinion. Nobody cares about your floor speeches. So, I don't know. There's something to be said for that. Also, there is the debate happening right now of whether or not kind of criticizing John Fetterman as aggressively as he is being criticized is kind of ableist. Um, I, I mean, I understand where people are coming from because I think people go to like such an aggressive extreme level, but also again, he is campaigning and part of campaigning and part of being an effective campaigner is effectively articulating your policy positions. And that is not something that John Fetterman was able to do in his debate last night. So that's not great. That means he did not do a good job debating whether like, it doesn't matter that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't in his control. He, he didn't do a good job debating. He didn't do it. And it's not his fault. 
he has a medical condition, it's okay. But you can't say, oh, well, he did a, you know, he did a good job anyway. Like, he, he didn't. He didn't do a great job. So we'll see kind of how this affects things. I think, you know, usually, you know, like, whatever. Political scientists love to say that, like, nothing matters and everything will just go the way it goes. But, like, in a race like this, your these debates are really going to matter. Um, and I think that the Republicans just have so much ammunition now of clips to pull and like long silences and like little slip ups with his with his language um that that's it's going to be hard for him to recover from that when this is going to be so fresh in voters minds two weeks out where even though he's not incompetent that is the perception that some people are going to have of him um that's just a very important change in dynamic there um there were of course, a handful of good liners from both of them. Fetterman got some zingers out. Whatever, I don't know. He prepared those He prepared those five one-liners instead of, like, preparing very clear answers to all the specific questions he was going to get asked, which, you know, not the greatest strategy in the world. I think maybe he could have just done something different with debate prep and a speech therapist, but I, I don't know. I'm, I wasn't there. I wasn't behind the scenes. Um... But the one big thing that I want to just mention on before we move on um, <clears throat> is Dr. Oz saying that the decision about whether or not to have an abortion should be one made between woman and her doctor. Great. You're doing so well there, Dr. Oz. Who, what else are you going to say? There's a third person that needs to be involved in this decision. Local elected officials. He said that the decision about whether or not to have an abortion should be one made between the woman, her doctor, and local elected officials. Are you joking? Are you joking? So, of course, that's a great poll quote for the Democrats there because what? No one agrees with that. What are you talking about? It's so funny. The Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz is such a, it's, oh, he's so smarmy. I don't like him. It bothers me. Okay, anyway. So again, there's a lot of larger implications for this race on a whole bunch of things. Um, it's kind of a matter of like, whoever's going to win Pennsylvania is going to win the Senate. Like there's a lot of pressure on this race. Um, and there's also a lot of, you know, a lot of criticism of like his campaign strategy and whether or not it's good. And like, people are going to be looking back at this race for a long time one way or the other. Um, and let me say something, if Fetterman loses, election Twitter is going to eat itself from the inside out. They are going to absolutely internally combust. It's going to be so bad. There's going to be fights on the street. People are going to be absolutely destroying each other. It's going to be heinous. It's not going to be good. So we've got that to look forward to. Love it. Okay. Well, that is our midterm madness for the week. Boy, is it, boy, is it madness sure is so now we're going to get our mind out of american politics for a little bit we're going to take a little journey across the pond but first i'm going to again move my chair as far away from the mic as i can get while still being connected to my headphones and take another sip of my drink lol okay okay we're good oh jesus lord guys this chair is a little funky okay so, as you may have seen, the UK has their third prime minister in seven weeks. 
what the heck happened? So, over the summer, well, seven weeks ago, was seven weeks ago over the summer? Yes. Yes, it was. Well, kind of. It was September, I guess. Regardless, it doesn't matter. Um, Boris Johnson got ousted for having a, a slew of scandals, including having some parties during COVID, which was not a great look. Um, they replaced dear old Boris with Liz Truss, who then lasted six weeks, 44 days, if you're counting, um, in office. And basically, she came in and changed it all up, and she tried to um, basically engage in some funky trickle-down economics and all these, like, crazy um, sweeping unfunded tax cuts that basically, if you were following this, because I have a lot of people that I know who are studying abroad in England right now who are going absolutely crazy, um, the pound just absolutely collapsed and it was, you know, worth the same amount as the dollar and then it was worth less than the dollar. And so it, it was kind of a little bit of a mess there. Um, it forced the Bank of England to intervene in bond markets to stave off the collapse of pension funds. And it also sent mortgage more oh jesus mortgage interests interest rates soaring so it absolutely just collapsed the british economy um and so it was just all of this kind of political chaos because we had this brand new prime minister who's doing all this stuff we uh, yeah i can't get my brain out of saying wait um absolutely collapsed the british economy um the labor party which is kind of the opposition party in the uk called for an immediate general election in Parliament. Um, but obviously, in that climate, it would not go well for the Conservatives. Um, and they aren't obligated to call another election until January 2025. So instead, they're like, it's okay. We'll just choose a new prime minister. It'll be fine. Liz Truss is gone. We'll just get a new guy. Um, in my opinion, the new King Charles should follow what his namesakes in the past have done and dissolve parliament. I think he absolutely should do that. He should absolutely send England into a parliamentary constitutional crisis. I think it'll be really funny. Anyway, the thing about parliament is that the they kind of, you know, this is obviously not the case and I'm sure they feel the same way about us, but it really feels like they're just making things up as they go. Like what are the rules? Anyway, so they're operating on a, on a little bit of a, a flexible rule book here. So instead of calling a new election, they chose a new prime minister. And this past Tuesday, Rishi Sunak took over as prime minister with the country kind of deeply in a hot mess. Um, the conservative party is pretty deeply fractured, um, which means that a lot of people do not believe that he has a mandate, which is going to be difficult for him to govern. Um, he also was kind of like a random choice. He's only had like a seven, seven years in like national politics, very rushed through selection process. It was less than a week between Liz Truss resigning um, and the new prime minister being chosen. Um, and all that <laughs> indicates to me, all signs point to, he maybe will last longer than six weeks, but I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, the kind of the cool thing here in terms of, you know, 
representation politics, I guess, is that he's the first person of color and the first Hindi to be prime minister, which is really cool. Also, a fun, weird oversight is that now he's in charge of approving leaders to the Church of England. So that's kind of fun. I hope that he causes chaos on purpose, as is his right, nay, his responsibility. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how he does. Uh, he's like a fairly young dude. Apparently he's like very, very rich. Um, and apparently he's a Coca-Cola aficionado. So I guess we'll hear more about that and see if he can kind of get things back under control, um, as, as, as we move forward. So Liz Truss, look, she's a girl boss. She came in, she crashed the British economy, she killed the queen, and then she resigned. Like, okay, girl boss behavior. Love that for her. But also kind of terrible for the feminist movement. Like, why has every female prime minister been such a creep? Margaret Thatcher, Theresa May, Liz Truss. What? What is this? England, get it together. I mean, you know, they have had three female heads of state <laughs> while the United States has had big old zero. Um, but that is, that's just fine. Um you know, and it's also interesting how all of this kind of connects to Brexit, um, kind of this, all of this like political and economic chaos kind of started based on um, the, the country's response to Brexit. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how like, you know, not being part of the EU has had really significant ramifications on the UK. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just gen generally interesting to see how all of these things, um, all of this chaos, all this, like, pol you know, this, this tumultuous political, this kind of tumultuous political reality that we live in is not necessarily just an American thing. Um, there's kind of, it's, it's, it's going on all over the place. Um, and there's just kind of a, a larger political reaction um, to this, like, changing world economy, changing social structures, changing, changing institutions. Um, so it's interesting. It's also so interesting to see how chaotic other countries' political systems are. Like, we think that our systems are a mess, but, like, what is parliament? Someone explain parliament, parliament to me slowly like I'm stupid. I beg. But anyway, that's a really brief rundown of what's happened in the UK over the past couple weeks. But I did want to save some time to review some mailers. So I've got this fun stack of mail in front of me. And we are going to spend a couple minutes reading it. All right. <clears throat> First up, we have, and I'll post some pictures of these as well. We have a mailer from the Dr. Oz camp, but it's paid for by the Republican Party of Pennsylvania. So it does not say Dr. Oz on it anywhere, I don't believe. And it says, John Fetterman, working hard to put criminals back on the street. As chairman of the Pennsylvania Board of Pardons, Fetterman uses his power to release as many convicted murderers as possible. 32 murderers released back on the streets. Turn that over. John Fetterman doesn't just want more murderers on the street. He wants to release one third of all prisoners. John Fetterman voted to free these murderers. And then it's like basically his mugshot, which it's not actually a mugshot. That's just kind of what he looks like next to three guys that I guess are murderers. 
and this one's actually addressed to my dad. That's kind of fun. <laughs> All of the Democratic ones are addressed to me. <laughs> Interesting. Um, this, this is a good one. This is a good one. Here's what I'll say. Look, I, I might spend a little bit more time saying who the alternative is rather than just focusing on John Fetterman. Um, but, you know, it's effective. It's got all the buzzwords. It's got, you know, it's got statistics on it. It's got mugshots on it. Very dramatic. So, you know what? I'll give this one... You know, I'll give this one a 7 out of 10. Mention Dr. Oz on it. Okay, next. We'll do, we'll do a John Fetterman one. Okay, this one is from the Fetterman camp. Well, it's actually from the Pennsylvania Democratic Party. Not exactly from the Fetterman camp. So, whatever. We'll address that. Um, all right. Washington politicians saw a shell of a town. But John Fetterman saw the potential of the people in it. And that makes all the difference. John believed in Braddock when others didn't. He'll fight for those of us Washington has left behind. That's good. That's good. So that's the front. It's got a picture of John on it. Beautiful. He's wearing a Carhartt jacket. So, you know, we love Turn it over. John Fetterman is fighting for the people and places forgotten by Washington. All across Pennsylvania, we're seeing soaring prices, hollowed out communities, and families getting ripped off by corporate greed. Things are tough and people are struggling. Washington, D.C. doesn't see that. And they don't care about places like ours. Blah, blah, blah. And then he talks about all of the things that he is going to do. And it gives the link to his plan and all of his social medias. And this is a banger mailer. Look, mailers are like expensive and generally aren't that effective, but this is a good mailer. Doesn't mention Dr. Oz anywhere. Talks about all of the good things about John Fetterman. Makes him look like a really, like an interesting guy. Talks about his specific policy positions. Gives information about where to go for more information. It's pretty, it's nice. I like it. I don't have any criticism. 9 out of 10. Okay, next. Okay, this one is also from the Republican Party of Pennsylvania. Nothing changes without you. Vote today. Use your mail-in <laughs> Use your mail-in ballot. Vote for change now. Love it when the Pennsylvania Republicans say to use a mail-in ballot. Soaring food prices, skyrocketing utility bills. Inflation historic high, at historic highs. Retirement and college savings being wiped away. Oh, this is so good. Oh my gosh. Okay. Nothing changes without... Okay, it's the same thing. But it, the, the, the graphic on this little mailer is AOC, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, and Nancy Pelosi with big red X's. <laughs> None of those people are running in Pennsylvania. None of them. Not a single one of them is running in Pennsylvania. It's a terrible ad. It's a terrible ad. It doesn't say who the candidates are. doesn't talk about the Republican alternatives for issues. Literally, like... And they use the same X graphic for all four people. And they also chose, like, a great picture of Kamala and Joe. Literally one out of ten. Terrible ad. Also, the fact that they are like, yeah, use mail-in ballots. Stop it. Okay, one out of ten. Terrible. This one is from State Representative Joe Adams. 
the qualified and trusted voice for Pike and Wayne counties. See, so this is good. So it's on the back. It talks about all of his uh, experience. Uh, he was an executive in banking, county commissioner, his superintendent. Yeah, I like this one. Okay. Look, I'd like it if he, if he put some more of his policy positions on it, but I appreciate him putting his qualifications, not mentioning the other candidate. It gives the link to his website and his Facebook page. It's nice. It's nice. It's cute. I like it. I'll give it, I'll give it a 6 out of 10. I like it. Okay, good. Is this open? Oh, it opens, I think. No, I'm just an idiot. It does not open. Good job, Joe. Okay. Oh my gosh, we've got so many more to get through. We're never going to be able to do this. No, I have so many of these. I'm going to post some pictures of my favorite ones that we don't get to on Instagram because they are so funny. So funny. Okay. Next is, this is an ad for Matt Cartwright, who is running for Congress in my district, or running for the House in my district. So the front says, they were good American jobs. Jim Bognett helped send them to China. Turn it over. We've got one side that says, Jim Bognett helped steer U.S. taxpayer funds to Chinese companies. And on the other side, it says, Matt Cartwright is bringing manufacturing jobs back to Northeastern PA. Here's my thing about this. Here's my thing about this. It's a good ad. It's issue-centric. It's good. But Jim Bognet is bigger than the Matt Cartwright logo. So, like, I can't... Like, on first look, I couldn't tell who this ad was for. So, that's not great. That's not great. Jim Bognet is said three times, four times on this thing, and Cartwright is said twice. That's not a great ad. Make Matt Cartwright's picture bigger. Put it on the front. That's what I'll say. Okay, I'm going to give that a 6 out of 10. The next Cartwright one is, like, exactly the same. It says Bognet way too many times. So, exact same for that 6 out of 10. Oh, you know what? And this is the exact same thing again. Stop saying Bognet so many times when this is for Matt Cartwright. Oh, Matt. All these ads are good. <coughs> Excuse me. Like, they're good. They talk about important issues. They're about, like, the 9-11 fund and, like, how Jim Bognet stopped um, American families of 9-11 victims to get, from getting justice. But they all say Jim Bognet way too big, way too many times. And the pictures of Matt Cartwright are, like, grainy screenshots from some of his ads. So, you know... Matt, I'm going to beg you to go get some professional, some new professional headshots done and use them in these ads. Make your face a little bit bigger. Make your name a little bit bigger. And then you'll, do, then, then, then you'll get some more points from me. You'll get some more points from me. All right. Great. Okay. Here we go. This is one of my absolute favorites. It's so good. It's like it's pink and it's purple. And it says, John Fetterman hearts Joe Biden's agenda. It's like a valentine. It's like a valentine. Um, and it's a little picture of John Fetterman. And he says, I'm 100% behind the Biden agenda. Loves gun control. Loves to free criminals. Loves more spending and inflation. It's so funny. 
It also doesn't say Dr. Oz anywhere. Doesn't say Oz. Doesn't have a picture of him. Doesn't have anything. So the question here, of course, is like, is, <coughs> excuse me again, is um, including Oz going to be a, a helpful thing or a detriment? Are they campaigning against John Fetterman or for Dr. Oz? I still kind of believe that there needs to be some reference to who the alternative is because otherwise someone's going to see this and it's like oh i'll just vote for the independent no tell them tell them exactly who to vote for but i love the graphic design i think it's beautiful i think it's very funny i'm gonna give it an i'm gonna give it an eight out of ten it's so funny i love it oh paid for by the senate leadership fund i don't know what the rules are with all this stuff but I love it. I'm going to put it on my wall. I think it's so funny. Okay. All right. All right. I've got two, I've got two left and two minutes. You think I can do both? I'm going to do them both. Okay. So we've got this last one from the Pennsylvania Democratic Party. Front says, Mehmet Oz is a fraud who made millions peddling fake cures. And the back says... Mehmet Oz preyed on people who trusted him and made a fortune doing it. Great. Vote no on Oz. In the Senate, he'll just profit at your expense. Another good one. I like it. It's succinct. It gives, it lays it all out. It gives the sources, etc., etc. Does not say John Fetterman on it. Does not give the alternative. Who's the alternative? Although, you know what? See, I, I knocked off a couple points for not putting the other candidate's name on it, but I'm now seeing this graphic of Dr. Oz holding a jar that says false hope on it, like a jar of pills that says false hope, and I think that that's hilarious, and so I'm giving that 9 out of 10. I think that that's excellent work. Love it. Okay, last but not least, another amazing graphic design work from the Senate Leadership Fund. John Fetterman is Biden's biggest cheerleader. Fetterman said he's a good Democrat that is always going to be there to help the party meet the moment and deliver the Biden agenda. And it's this beautiful graphic of John Fetterman as a cheerleader. I love it. It's so funny and weird. John Fetterman says he's 100% behind the Biden agenda. Yada, yada, yada. Gun control, freeing criminals, more inflation, more spending. Vote against John Fetterman. But again... No support for Dr. Oz, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock some points off for. Again, the graphic design is gorgeous. They did an amazing job, but, you know, the, the, they, they, the, I, I don't think that they did their best work here. So, 9 out of 10 for that. Whew. Wow. That was a speed round. I've got some postcards, too, that I can't even bring up. I am going to bring up this one just for, just, just for the road. It's a postcard that I received to remind me to vote. And it says, one vote can make a whale of a difference. And it's a little picture of a whale on it. It's so great. It's so good. It's my favorite thing I received in this huge stack of mail that I received from my parents this week. But we are officially over time. So I can't get to my fun stories of the week. So we're going to start with that next week because I've got two really good ones. Um, but with all that being said, please remember to get out and vote. Fill out those mail-in mail ballots. Go vote early. Do what you need to do. Um, this is an important election, and we are two weeks out. You are running out of time to make sure that you are able to vote. Um, thank you all so much for listening. I'm sorry for my intermediate coughing. 
I hope that you all have an amazing week. If you are interested in engaging with the show on social media, it is at SheepThrillsGW on Twitter and SheepThrillsRadio on Instagram. Love to hear from you. Um, I hope you guys all have a great week. I will talk to you later. And make sure you get out and vote.